Well, the Cowboys defense has made two stands the last two times. What do the Browns have in store? Mayfield on a fake flip to Beckham and he gets away. Now Beckham has room to run. Odell Beckham cuts back. Odell Beckham Jr. All the way. Touchdown, Cleveland. Hey, we're rolling, we're rolling. We got all day long. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Yes, welcome in everyone. It got a bit dicey for a while, but week number four in the NFL has indeed gone down. And what a great Monday to be alive. I always look forward to these Mondays, but this Monday, even more so than normal for some reason. Possibly something to do with my team sticking 49 points on the board. And if I haven't let you know before, my football team scored seven past the champions last night. What a Sunday to be alive, gents. Let's welcome the boys into the podcast. A man not quite as happy as me this evening. Timothy, how are you, buddy? Uh, I'm doing very well. I must admit, I'm I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as a slug would be bathing in in salt. Excellent, mate. At least you've got your your phrases correct so far. No no blind squirrels. Plenty of those on the Dallas defence. (laughs) <laughs> Lawrence, welcome you as well, buddy. Going to mediate between me and Tim tonight, hopefully. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a, a, a very good bit of banter here. And um, yeah, congratulations again. You seem to be um, building enough merchandise to set up your own Subway franchise, it seems, Mr. Blundell. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to go hungry for a while, am <laughs> I, fellas? Never mind. We'll get to that in a bit anyway. But let's let's start, fellas, with the news that dominated the vast majority of the week. And I am, of course, talking about COVID-19, which has dominated the news pretty much now for 10 months, hasn't it? Uh, not just in this country, but around the globe. And obviously the NFL's first real challenge when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus outbreak. We went through three weeks with pretty much unscathed. We did mention at the back end of last week's pod that the Atlanta Falcons lost one of their cornerbacks ahead of last week's game. He was the first man to go out partway through the season onto the COVID reserve list, but obviously then exploded with an outbreak amongst the Tennessee Titans. Pleased to say at the time of recording this today, I believe is the first day that they've actually received full negative tests, but it's been pretty glum news every day since it broke initially. Obviously led to the Tennessee game against Pittsburgh being postponed this weekend, We've also had a delay to the Chiefs and Patriots after Cam Newton and the Chiefs practice squad quarterback Jordan Tamu received positive tests. So, fellas, you know, we, we probably figured that this was going to happen. I've got to be honest, the games yesterday were a real great distraction because at one point it didn't feel as though this weekend may actually happen and, and we were all talking about an inevitable delay on the horizon and those type of things. But Lawrence... Just in a vacuum, how do you think the NFL has handled it this week and sort of how concerned should we be, in your opinion, for things moving forward? Well, you've got to look at some of the facts here that in the Super Bowl era, in terms of NFL regular season games, there has never actually been a game that's been lost due to weather, terrorism, or in this case, a global pandemic. We actually have had one one preseason game 
that was lost in in 2017, completely lost. Um, that was nothing to do with a strike, and that was the Texans versus Cowboys game in what was called the Governor's Cup. I don't know if Tim, you've heard of the Governor's Cup, and that was due to Hurricane Harvey. So, just giving a a, a brief bit of context here, going back to you know the very very first kind of shoots of the NFL back in the 20s and 30s games were actually cancelled regularly by teams and nobody was actually punished um, up until 1933 um, I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to go back every every decade but you know we do go back to the the two strike shortened seasons 82 and 87 82 we lost seven weeks and they were never replayed um, and in 87 we lost one week week three um, and then scab players came along and played for three weeks and, and the NFL decided those games were to count. We've had some other kind of momentous moves, but never cancellations. So we've had Candlestick Park hit by an earthquake in 1989. We've had Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor of California. He moved the Chargers game all the way to Arizona following fires. We've had lots and lots of hurricanes where we've moved things. And then obviously we had the the you know incredible tragedy of 9-11 in 2001 where week two in its entirety was moved. We've had 2010 where 17 inches of snow fell on the Viking Stadium, if you remember, and the, the Metrodome roof actually collapsed in. But that game still went ahead. They just they just moved the Vikings Giants game and played it in Detroit. And then most recently we've had Hurricane Irma in 2017 that moved a, a Dolphins-Bucks game from September to November. But the NFL has, they have a very, very proud record of not cancelling games. They're just moving them. And I think at the moment we're able to move games. It's It does have a knock-on effect. So, you know, a planned week might be wiped out and then you've got an unplanned streak of home games or road games for a team that could be an advantage, could be a disadvantage. And, and at the moment, that kind of juggling act is just about doable. I reckon if we get three, four, five teams that fall under that same kind of difficulty that the Titans had, where they, they lose up to 10 players and, and then, you know, almost the same amount of staff, then suddenly we are going to start hitting problems. And, and I think, you know, we, we were very fortunate at the start of the season that people were testing negative, but it was inevitable that, that COVID was going to seep into the absolute fabric of the league. And I think one thing that is being heavily considered following the success of the NBA is taking the playoffs and actually making them a into a bubble. Because at the moment, the NFL can't do that kind of bubble where, where the NBA just basically stuck everyone in, I think it's Disney's worldwide sports complex and let them play out the playoffs. Different logistics for, for the NFL but once you start reducing the amount of teams and you've got the playoffs and a finite amount of games, then it's it's something that I think is going to happen. I think that that's going to gain a lot of momentum. So I think the idea of playoff bubbles is absolutely rising to the surface. Yeah, I can certainly see that happening. And, and like you say, particularly if they're not going to be able to get fans back into stadiums, certainly across the league, um, you know, they may well go with what they've got at the minute with different rules for different teams throughout the regular season. But I think they will want as much of a sort of level playing field come playoff time 
Tim, just in terms of the the action that the league took this week, then obviously a fairly simple scenario in the grand scheme of things for the NFL with this one, just a case of rearranging uh, the Steelers against the Ravens in one of the sort of upcoming weeks and moving the Ravens by week back. What it does mean, of course, is that um, the, you know the Titans and the Steelers effectively have ended up having a, a buy in week four. I know a few people have, have moaned about that. To be honest, I remember last year that boys were scheduled in week four. Um, you know, so I don't think it's a huge thing. And I also remember back a couple of years ago when there was bad weather um, across Florida and I think there was the Tampa game called off and effectively Tampa had a bye week in week one. So I'm not buying that that's a huge disadvantage for anybody. So, you know, so far so good in terms of the way it's been dealt with in your opinion. Yeah, it is. You make an interesting point there about the level playing field for the playoffs. It would be interesting to see how many people can be bothered towards the back end of the season to to jostle, 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 jostle for for seedings. Like obviously, the number one seed obviously gets the buy, but obviously, people getting the two, three, and four seed aren't going to be too fussed if you're going to be in a bubble. But with regards to what what's kind of gone on with the COVID and how they've handled it, I, I think because the NFL are so wary or so particular about the the lining in their in their wallets being hurt i think that they would have done well you'd hope so that uh, an extensive amount of kind of planning and forward thinking about about you know different scenarios that do come up uh, like such as the one that has come up um i find it interesting that obviously you've got you've got covid players like cam newton going down with covid um and then the, the game essentially just being moved one or two days it doesn't really make any any difference um but with regards to um, if it gets even worse, I, I agree with Lawrence. I think that if there's a couple of teams, four or five teams that that do what Tennessee have have, have gone through, I can't see anything apart from um, having a two week delay or a three week delay to reset the balance and go again. And if if yeah, I know there's no odds in it, but if you if you gave me odds on a March Super Bowl, I would probably take it at this point because I. Once, once it comes, it, you know, there's, there's only a certain amount of scenarios and instances that you can cater for and account for, because then at some point you can't. There's no more. There's no more pieces to put for, uh, together in the jigsaw. You ha- you just have to say, okay, let's have a two week sabbatical. Come back, everyone's, you know, dare I say, you will be recovered from it, and then and then go again. So it might be uh, a consistently staggered uh, regular season, and like I say, if they want to put in. The, the bubble for the postseason to make sure that it's uh, it's done without any delay because you obviously can't really do it at that point. Um, and it would be unfair on a team that had contract, well, yeah, say, for example, the the quarterback contracts COVID, for them, essentially, then they'll just be out of the playoffs because they, they, the team, the calibre of team they'll be playing, there'll be no hiding place for them and they'll be heavily handy, um, you know, hand-tied behind, yeah, behind their back and they, they won't be able to get anything going, which would be a shame, obviously, considering the, the trials and tribulations of the regular season. Um, but, yeah, if you, you give me give me odds on, on a March Super Bowl, I'd probably take it at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Like you say, it almost feels inevitable and we'll obviously keep you up to speed with any developments across the course of the coming weeks. Um, obviously, this all really started to break um, in the early part of the week and, and obviously, like I say, the news didn't really start getting any better until today in Tennessee, hopefully. Um, that's the last of any sort of further cases and obviously, best wishes to everybody that unfortunately has come down now You know, with a positive test. We obviously wish them well and uh, a speedy recovery and hopefully they can get back out there um they're obviously coming you know on a, a three and out start to the season so Tennessee will certainly want to get back out there 
and keep that momentum going. Uh, let's cast our minds about them, fellas. Let's start to go through some games from the week. And, you know, the Thursday night football didn't seem very appealing on paper. At one stage, it looked like it may be the only game that went down this week. And it was Brett Rippon of the Denver Broncos getting their first win of the season, 37-28 to against the absolutely hopeless New York Jets. Uh, Melvin Gordon had himself a fairly nice evening in this one with 107 yards rushing and Tim Patrick stepped up in the place of the injured Cortland Sutton as the Broncos get their first W of the season. Uh, I think I called it out last week, really feel for the Broncos, a real season full of optimism, essentially decimated by injury, but they're in the wing column and I think for the Jets, probably in the long run, the best thing that could happen. You know, let's face it, the bigger their losing is this season, the more chance they will get rid of Adam Gase and then hopefully the franchise can reset and go again. That, that surprises me, actually, just before we move on to that. You think um, everyone's saying, oh, you know, the more that the Jets lose or the bigger margins they, they lose by, the, the more chance that Adam Gase is going. But let's not forget that Adam Gase has won a power battle there over the last couple of years because didn't they get rid of a GM or, or someone to for, and Adam gave Adam Gase all the power? It's not Bill O'Brien at the Houston Texans. I don't, I don't understand where all this, um, you know, the more the Jets lose, the, the more chance he'll get fired. I, I think that is, you know, Gase has got more of a stranglehold on on that Jets team, and he's going to be there for as long as he wants to be. To be to be quite honest, so um, yeah, I'm not quite I'm not quite sure what he has to do to get fired because essentially I think he's firing himself at this point. Yeah, I think Lawrence mentioned his overall record last year, and what we probably didn't do in that segment when we talked about it was give it a little bit more context. In as much as I think you know Gase's overall record, you know he he may well have won a bunch of games, but if you actually look at how many games he's won by a convincing margin, i.e. more than one touchdown, and then the games that he's actually lost by a convincing margin, i.e. more than one touchdown, it is then heavily skewed. He's won a bunch of games, but he's won a bunch of close games. They either sneak a win or or they get blown out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens down the line. Um, There's obviously going to be a lot of pressure from the New York media. We know he's obviously playing somewhere or coaching somewhere that uh, he's going to be lacking patience, let's be honest. Um, so he yeah. certainly should be on thin ice. Just, just to Adam, Adam Gase, if you are listening, like here at the full ten yards, we uh, we are subsidising coaches to get their badges. So if you want to refresh your training, mate, and, and take a course in coach training, um, yeah, hit us up in, on Twitter at full, at full ten yards. We'll we'll pay for that, mate. Oh, that is belting, mate. That's an absolute beauty you've come out with. Go on, Lawrence. You want to say something? I was going to say, yeah, and and maybe extend a bit of love out there to um, Pierre Desir, the cornerback. I mean, what a bonkers game for him he gets he that that Jerry Judy touchdown the first one when Jerry Judy's a rookie and just climbs all over him for that for that touchdown grab and then he he gets he I think he had possibly what is it the worst quarter or half by a cornerback in recent memory in terms of yardage allowed and then he goes and gets a pick six late in the game and Rippon's kind of wearing out by then. He throws two picks kind of late and you're thinking, oh my God, is there a Jets comeback here? And and they, you know, then Melvin Gordon just kind of stuck the dagger in, in the Jets' heart with that big, long touchdown run to pad his stats out, to be fair. He hadn't had a particularly magnificent game. It was just kind of, it was it was made to look good by that one single run. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Jets are horrendous, but I... I have to admit, I was going to watch that game in, in pretty much on, you know, 30 times fast forward on, on Sky for the whole game. And ended up actually watching quite a few drives in the end because I thought, yeah, this is quite entertaining. 
Yeah, the Thursday night games have actually provided a fair bit of entertainment so far this year, so long may that continue. Uh, we're not going to go chronologically through the games, fellas, and we'll get to the reason for that in a moment. So let's get you caught up with the late slate from yesterday. Uh, Chicago falling to the Indianapolis Colts by a score of 19 points to 11. That's a bizarre score in the NFL, isn't it? 19 points to 11. Uh, Nick Foles not exactly lighting up the scoreboard, but I sort of alluded to it last week. I think the, the Bears have now made their bed and they're going to lie in it. It's going to take a few weeks for any sort of chemistry to develop there. Let's not forget, although Foles is obviously a veteran in the league, he's not had any sort of reps or practice with this new bunch of players and the Colts improved to three and one. Um, although, again, their offense not exactly pulling up any trees in this one. Uh, talk about an offense not pulling up any trees. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. The New York Giants uh, certainly competing with the Jets for the worst team in football. Another abysmal showing from them. Uh, but to be fair, the defense kept them actually in this game. I think a lot of people um, had the Rams to sort of run away with this one. I know a number of us in our survivor pool played the Rams and were all a little bit squeaky bum time come towards the end. But Cooper Cup grabbed a late touchdown as the Rams win 17 points to nine. The Buffalo Bills improved to four and now with a 30 points to 23 victory over the Las Vegas Raiders. If I'd have said to you boys at the start of the year that the Bills were going to win a game and Josh Allen's rushing line was going to be three carries for minus one yard, would you have believed that the Bills were winning that game, Lawrence? No, I mean, this is uh, quite a lot of kind of NFL commentators have said this in terms of the evolution of Josh Allen from his first couple of seasons to the 2020 season. It's like watching two different quarterbacks, isn't it? It, it genuinely is. You you just looked at his poise, his pocket presence, and he's, he's not instinctually going, right, okay, I'm in a bit of trouble here. I'm going to tuck and run. He's going, I'm in a bit of trouble here. I'm going to check. I'm going to look. I'm going to scan the field. I'm going to look for my third target, my fourth target, my backup tight end. I'm going to try and find him as opposed, you know, like kind of finding like Lee Smith, you know, this, this kind of, you know, somebody he wouldn't be naturally throwing NFL balls to, but that he, he has gone out and just his confidence and now being four and O is going to be up in the clouds in terms of that, that confidence and that ability. And, and all it does is it keeps expanding the game plan. And, and obviously the, the Stefan Diggs has been playing out of his socks. So, you know, when, when you get a stud receiver who kind of hadn't really performed since that giant playoff touchdown to, to come over with with low expectations and yeah I think we all had low expectations for for Stefan Diggs coming into 2020 with the Bills because it was the Bills receivers it's a bit of a graveyard really a bit of a graveyard position to you know for for receivers to go to Buffalo in that in that kind of cold and the snow and the um just the just sort of miserable temperatures but Diggs has, Diggs has done magnificent and, and Joss Allen, you know, up there with, with Russell Wilson as, as the best performing quarterback in the in the first month of the NFL season. Yeah, can't disagree with anything that you've said there, mate. Tim, you want to work on Josh Sh- Allen? Yeah, no, we're not necessarily, well, there's a throw that Josh Allen threw to one of the catches of the weekend, John Brown's uh, catch of the one yard line as well. If it was one for the highlight reel for anyone that wants to go and try and find that one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm still sort of shocked that it wasn't actually called a touchdown, but yeah, never mind. They punched it in soon after anyway. 
final game of the evening, fellas, and the Philadelphia Eagles are in the wing column. My, oh, my, did anyone see that one coming? Particularly when you look at the depth chart and the amount of injuries, but then, to be fair, it was injuries, I suppose, for both clubs in this one. But a welcome back from injury, even in defeat. George Kittle, 15 catches off 15 targets for 183 yards and a touchdown. Fellas, what an absolute monster game from George Kittle. Tim, he's got to be, well, he is the best tight end in the league, isn't he? He's not, it's not even a conversation, is it? No, I mean, well, no, it's not. Um, obviously, many people will be in the uh, the Travis Kelsey, the Travis Kelsey camp. I'll be in the always Darwin camp or Dalton Shorts camp. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but for obviously to come back and, and put out that performance, and it kind of averages out the last couple, he's, the last couple of weeks, he's, he's missed. So he's, he's yeah, he's funneled them all up. He's he's wrapped it in a nice little bag. And he's presented it to the uh, to the San Francisco 49ers on, on his return. But yeah, great. We yeah, what, what, you can't say anything new about him because it's all been said before. He, he can do absolutely everything at the tight end position to a very 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 high standard uh, which kind of sets him apart to, from ev- from everyone else and he's going to kind of be the the torch bearer for um for tight ends over the next couple of years once so kelsey events eventually hangs his cleats up and Ertz isn't too far uh, far away as well obviously a bit longer than, than maybe kelsey but yeah i mean he, he's he's what, what everything you want out of a tight end and being in carl shanahan's system is, is just is just kind of a cheat code isn't it because you can just do whatever you want if you like to run run the ball he's one of the best blocking tight ends that you, you'll see and say if you want to you want to sneak him out or even if you just want to get him running some routes he's he's just a beast and yeah look at the amount of yards he gets stuff to the catch and the amount of tackles he breaks and um, the extra yardage he fights for second absolutely second to none yeah he and, and he was he was inches away from catching the winning touchdown as well that that Hail Mary CJ Breathed's Hail Mary yeah, on the, yeah, yeah. the last play of the game there were three 49ers possible pass catchers there in the vicinity as the ball kind of came into the sort of back right-hand corner of the end zone. I mean, Bethard was was on fire. Obviously, the um, he, he was playing against a pretty much a prevent defence when, when he came on to, to sub in for Nick Mullins, who I think had, had had his chips by then. But, you know, Bethard, I think, what did he have? Two incompletions on about 16, 17 attempts? He was just just kept dinking and dunking his way up the field. And you just thought right at the end, it's a possibility. And on that fourth down, my goodness, that, that ball could have landed in any one of about seven pairs of hands. Mm. If I have one one criticism of George Kittle, it's his celebration when he gets the first down there. <laughs> bit, like, <laughs> bit like a cornerback celebrating when a wide open receiver drops a pass, isn't it, mate? Let's be honest. But uh yeah. Anyway, we talked there about the Sunday night football finishing on a possible Hail Mary. There were plenty of teams that didn't need a Hail Mary and put up points, points, points galore, fellas. It seems to be the new norm to stick 30-plus on the scoreboard, and there were plenty of games in that category last night. Let's look at a couple of them in depth, and let's start, Lawrence, let's come to you. The LA Chargers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I've got to be honest, I played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defence in... DraftKings, I think, team on the betting pod. I think your infamous words were the Chargers will do well to score 14 points in this one. The the, the (laughs) scoreboard was just absolutely lit up in this one. Obviously, TB12 got the win in the end, 38 points to 31. But Lawrence, talk us through it. What a cracking game this one was. Yeah, I mean, where where do you kind of start? Justin Herbert, the 
Chargers rookie making his third start now. And what one thing we've got to say is, is I, you know, you you feel sorry for various fans, but I think one of the teams you just have to feel sorry for continuously is Chargers fans. Herbert's now come in three games, losses by three, by five, and by seven in three consecutive weeks. And it's just what the Chargers do, isn't it? Every year, going back, I think going back 15, 20 years, they've started off so incredibly slowly that I don't know what it is with, with the Chargers and September, but they just stink. And, and I just don't, don't quite know what it is, but even with a change of quarterback and, and a change of kind of, you know, a lot of personnel, same things happened. And yeah, I just, you know, I know it's, it was said about 10,000 times, so I might as well say it for the 10,001st time. Yes, this was the game with the quarterbacks that had the biggest age gap between them in league history. So yeah, over 20 years between Herbert and Tom Brady. And it was interesting because if we look at um, Tom Brady, he's obviously ultra, ultra famous for delivering comebacks. Um, I mean, I've got a Sports Illustrated cover, which is kind of by, by, my, by my side that I see every day kind of working in my man cave with the headline miracle on top of it. And there's that picture of that Julian Edelman catch against the, against the Falcons in Super Bowl 51. So you know that he can deliver these comebacks. But um, interestingly, in the last 42 games in which the Buccaneers have gone down by 17, they'd lost every single one. And on the 43rd attempt, in comes Tom Brady, performs his magic. And that is also after coming back from throwing a horrendous pick six in the first quarter, um, Chargers cornerback Michael Davis went 78 yards for, for the pick six um, to, to put the Chargers up by seven earlier on early on in the game and it was actually Brady's second pick six of the season he threw one against the Saints as well so you know he's he's kind of has these sort of mortal streaks but down 24-14 at the half Brady just went into he went into kind of fight or flight mode three touchdown passes and held on for the win and a, a late field goal kind of padded it out a slight bit just one thing to say here Obviously, this is Black History Month and we can't kind of go throughout Black History Month without talking about some of the incredible black quarterbacks that we've had. Um, namely, namely one, Mr. Warren Moon, who's actually the only black quarterback in the NFL Hall of Fame and the CFL Hall of Fame. And Tom Brady actually eclipsed Warren Moon's record as the oldest guy to throw five touchdowns in a game, um, age 43. And Warren Moon was a sprightly 40 when he threw his five touchdowns. So we've got to look at this. This was Brady's best stat line for about three years. And doing it without Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette, I think, makes it even sweeter. One thing that we've got to, what we can't kind of um, dismiss at the end of this game is the two big injuries. On the, on the Bucks side, they lost OJ Howard, looks likely for the season with an Achilles injury. He was outproducing Gronk. He had 19 catches, two scores to Gronk's 14 catches and no scores. 
Gronk's got to step up now. No more, no more Mr. Blocking. He's going to have to start catching those balls from his best mate. And for the Chargers fans, they, they've had a massive blow. And it's just come out, I think, in, in the last couple of hours that Austin Eckler's injury is going to keep him out from four to six weeks now. He's been put on injured reserve, grade two hamstring strain. So that was a huge, huge loss. And that happened in the first quarter. So I think, personally, if Eckler would have stayed in for that whole game, I think it would have been a different outcome. Yeah, it was a cracking game, like you say, back and forth. And and, and as you say there, you know, Tom Brady, he certainly doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon, does he? I think we're all just waiting for Father the time to inevitably take over. And he just keeps defying it, doesn't he? On the flip side, though, you mentioned there Justin Herbert. Can I just ask a question, Tim? What on earth has he actually got to do for Anthony Lynn to actually sound impressed with him? Because, yeah, again, it almost <laughs> feels to me as like Anthony Lynn wants any excuse to just put Tyrod Taylor back in. What more can Herbert do? It sounds like, um, say, like uh, you, you're a son-in-law trying to impress the in-laws. Um, to, to, like they do all the chores, they cut the they cut the grass in the garden, they do all the hedges, they do all the flowers, they cook the dinner. It's like, oh no, still not good enough, still not good enough. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but we we know Anthony Lynn is a is the Tyron Taylor guy from his days in Buffalo. Obviously, playing in the in the past with, with Tyron and stuck by him. And I think uh, if the cynical side of me wonders whether or not it's um, is to stop Tyrod Taylor getting kicking up too much of a fuss and any potential like lawsuits or anything like that, obviously because of the way he's been injured and whether or not Anthony Lynn feels like he needs to give him another bite at the cherry because it's their in, the staff's incompetencies that has led him to to, to miss time. Um, but yeah, like he's, it doesn't always work like that. You look at you know um, when Alex Smith went out and Colin Kaepernick came in, and some, sometimes you, you you just need to make the right move for the for the franchise. Obviously, a lot of people, including Lee, obviously a Chargers fan, and but also a college guy, he was he was coming out saying that obviously Justin Herbert's very raw. We need to take a lot of time on the sidelines to learn the game and 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 nurture himself into into the NFL. But I think considering the first three weeks I think he's shown a lot of promise I think with him what I've the, the small stuff I've seen of him he tends to elevate his level his playing levels to the the caliber of opponent um because he's had his two best games um when he's been faced in against Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes yeah last week when, when they played didn't didn't have the grace to games um so yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of where it goes. But I'm, I, I say so I don't really see anything on, on yeah, when Tyrod Taylor's ready to come back. He'll just come back and slot in, and then there'll just be groans for weeks and weeks. Um, similar to when Tyrod Taylor was at the Browns, and everyone was asking for Baker Mayfield. Um, so yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and, like um, so. and on, Herbert was Herbert through you know eighty percent completion rate on Sunday. I mean, mm. you just you can't fault the guy. He's thrown for 931 yards in, in three starts as a rookie. He's, you know, three touchdowns, 80% completion rate. Okay, he didn't get the win, but boy, does he look exciting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with what you, what you said, Tim, about that kind of what Anthony Lynn's doing to kind of avoid a lawsuit. So I think, yeah. I think that's very clever. I think that's absolutely what he's doing. Shout out to as well. Um, one, of your, one of your old boys used to cover Sean, Donald Parham catching a touchdown. XFL boy. Indeed. I, I, dropped him, I dropped him before my dynasty teams last week. Wonder why, I, I, no wonder he scored this week. 
Yeah, good player, Donald Parra, mate. Six foot eight. He's an absolute beast of a red zone threat. But anyway, we'll talk XFL in 2022 when The Rock <laughs> brings it back. Let's uh, let's move on then, fellas. And uh, another high-scoring affair in Detroit this time. We obviously had uh, Chris Robin on with us, Tim, for the full 10 questions last week. I said I'd got Detroit down for a sneaky little upset. And I got excited when they were 14 nil up, but yeah. I should have learned, shouldn't I? Detroit often yeah. go 14 points up. Obviously, the Saints get the win in this one, 35-29. to 29. Talk us through it, mate. Yeah, very strange game, this one. Like I say, I, th- I think the whole of the world um, were, were quite quick to let everyone know that they picked the Lions in their survivors or their pickums or whatever it was uh, when they raced out to a 14-point lead. But um, it didn't actually turn out very much that long for it to uh, to be level scores. And dare I say, obviously, um, was it I think 20 points in the in the second quarter for, for the Saints, obviously, then gave them the lead. Um, I'm not actually... <laughs> I mean, I watched the highlights of this one, and I watched it bits, bits obviously on red zone and, and what have you. I'm not, I'm not actually sure how the Saints scored as many points as they did, and and they, the four of their five drives were 75 yards or long, so that's probably a, a, an indicator there. Um, I've got a, a good stat that I'll be bringing up later in the, in the stats uh, stats section, but I went, I went back and looked at uh, in preparation for for covering this game. I went and looked at Drew Brees's passing chart, you know, like the next gen stats, he's got all the little, little dots, and he actually threw the ball uh, a bit further downfield generally um, yesterday against the Lions. And obviously, watching from watching the highlights, there are actually some really good balls uh, thrown, some pinpoint balls where he's he's looped it over the defender that's kind of in his way, kind of like picking the middle a little bit. But um, yes, yeah, really good, um, some throws by Brees in in that game. So that's going to keep the naysayers quiet for probably just another week. But um, yeah, I mean the Lions after going was it 21-14 down were kind of always behind the eight ball um you know the saints did actually try and give it to them a little bit and with uh, you know interceptions and fumbles and uh, there was a fumble that was recovered by the saints but could have quite easily gone to the lions um but yeah it's almost as if they get into a big lead and and didn't just don't know really know what to do with it um <sighs> I just really it's one of those games where you watch it and you think how like how has that scoreline been become like that or you know how how does that how does how has that happened because I struggled to fathom how the, the Saints scored was it thirty one points this one thirty eight points or whatever it was um but yeah strange game but you know, obviously Saints without uh, Michael Thomas who should be back next week um are going to continue to use the uh, the juggernaut of Alvin Kamara which is pretty if not all but words uh, is is the same as Christian McCaffrey uh, he is he is that offense and he's fully um, fully paying back the Saints for the for the contract that he that he's gotten, but um, yeah, the Saints would have uh, were, were lucky that they were 14, 14 points down early. Uh, obviously, they get, gives them more time to obviously get back into the game. But yeah, it was a methodical, a similar style of play from the Saints. Methodical long drives, uh, and Breeze was able to get it done. Let's let's give a small little bit of credit to the Saints number two back, Latavius Murray. Mm. Two touchdowns, around touchdown, about fifty yeah. yards, and and you need people like that if you're gonna if you're gonna sustain drives and gonna win games. Yes, you've got your flashy superstars, but you need those you know those solid. Oh, gosh, I was about to say something. Solid number twos. And Latavius Murray, I'm not saying that you. You are a, a solid number two. But, 
Let's bail you out, Lawrence. Yeah, you are indeed correct, mate. Um, it was actually quite dope by Alvin Kamara's standards, and that's obviously because <laughs> his standards are so high. Um, mm. The guy that actually Drew Brees leaned on quite a bit was Traquan Smith in this one. Mm. Uh, we'll call him a floppy number three. Um, but yeah, he got involved plenty in the passing game this week. Let's talk about some more results then, fellas, from the teams that put up 30 points plus. Carolina, 31 against the Cardinals, 21. The Cardinals, they, they really have just disappeared off the uh, off the radar, haven't they, the last two weeks? Two surprise results and all of a sudden they're back at 2-2. Two and two. And Carolina improved to 2-2. Two and two. Um, Bit of sweet Carolina in the dressing room afterwards as well. Big win for the uh, the Carolina Panthers. Who'd have thought with McCaffrey that they'd have won two back-to-back, but that is indeed what they did. Uh, congratulations to Smoking Joe. He gets his first W as a Cincinnati Bengal. They win 33-25 to over the Jacksonville Jags. Big day, obviously, in this one for Joe Mixon, who's another one who's been a little bit quiet to start the season. And despite Jacksonville's run defence looking pretty good the first three weeks of the season, it obviously couldn't contain Mixon. And the Bengals get on the win column for the first time in the season. Seattle scoring 30 points is nothing... Unfamiliar, but only two touchdown passes for Russell Wilson. He's quiet by his standard, but still a nice 360-yard day. Plenty of offence from Seattle. A couple of rushing touchdowns for Chris Carson in that one. I'm already hearing, fellas, whispers for Tua. It's starting already. It's took four weeks. Is it going to happen this side of Halloween? Tim, yes or no? Single answer. Single word answer? No. Lawrence? No. Fair enough, that was anticlimactic, boys. I thought at least one of you had gone for it. <laughs> Baltimore 31, Washington 17. Uh, pretty routine victory for Baltimore in this one. Got up early and that's their blueprint, isn't it? Just then run away with it. Lamar Jackson doing a bit more with his legs in this one. He uh, scampered through for a, a 50-yard touchdown. Nearly celebrated a little bit too early and realised mm, someone, was about, yeah. someone was about that's to come funny. and clobber him. But a um, couple of passes in this one to Mark Andrews in the end zone. Lawrence, just quickly come to you for this one because I'm assuming you'd watched it, mate. Yeah, I think the I think the I think when Lamar got to about the ten yard line, he, he went, "Oh Christ!" I remember what DK Metcalf did. I best not do the same thing, and kind of yeah. tucked it back in. So I mean that 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 was his actually that actually was his longest um, run as a Raven, which is which is pretty remarkable. I think for for Washington, it's it's got to be Kyle Allen time now. The the score in the end looked a little bit respectable, 31-17. But it was 31-10, and Haskins just looked dreadful throughout the whole game. Yet again, plodding, getting sacked, just getting looking lost in the pocket. It really is time. Let, let's see what Kyle Allen can do, because you, you can't get worse than what Dwayne Haskins is doing at the moment. I think the only thing that's that's keeping Dwayne Haskins going is that he's not getting injured. He, he's a big guy. He's a big kind of tree trunk of a guy. And he, it's going to take a lot to hurt him. It's not like when we had RG three and you had this flimsy little, little human being who, if he, if he got, you know, got blown on, he was going to get injured. We knew that was going to happen. Haskins is, is built completely differently and that's what's keeping him going. But for goodness sake, you know, and, and, you know, another shout out, as we should do every week to Ron Rivera, who is is still fighting through his cancer. And you saw him kind of having to take breathers between drives. He was having to sit down and have a rest. And, you know, just kind of my heart goes out 
and you know he, he got his t-shirt kind of Rivera strong on it and you know I support everything that he's doing and obviously we've got the the NFL kind of cancer awareness activity and kind of all the the sort of think pink stuff so you know credit to Ron Rivera to to go out every weekend and, and be coaching his team winning or losing yeah, massive respect to him. I actually think that that potentially, though, he's developing into a situation where somebody actually needs to look after him and just pull him away from the sideline, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah, massively, like you say, wish him all the best. And and I think he's developing an excellent culture. And we've talked a few times, I think the future is bright in Washington. And I think, you know, Ron, go and fight your battle. You know, this this team will be there waiting for you when you come back. You've already sort of laid a few few blocks for for them to build upon and you know like I said good luck to to Ron Rivera obviously much more important things than football uh final game just to get caught up on in this section fellas in terms of the 30 plus pointers Minnesota 31 Houston 23 uh so the first win of the season for the Vikings uh Houston 4 to 0 and 4 Dear, oh dear, oh dear. They're spending a ton load of money, uh, more than anybody this year, I believe, on their roster. They've obviously given up their first and second round picks to the Dolphins, who must be rubbing their hands together at the moment of how good a trade that is looking like. Uh, it really is a little bit of doom. Do you reckon Bill O'Brien is, um, is very thankful? When he when he has his Thanksgiving dinner, he'll be thankful that Adam Gase is still in the job. <laughs> Yeah, he may well be. He may well be. It certainly seems a race to the bottom with a few of these franchises, doesn't it? But, uh, I mean, obviously they've had a tough schedule, Houston. Um, yeah. but that, that was a big game yesterday. Um, obviously, you know, both coming into that 0-3. And the Vikings get the job done. They've gone back to leaning on Dalvin Cook the last couple of weeks. It's obviously uh, paying dividends, fellas. Right, boys, that's all the teams that scored 30-plus. But... Why don't you score 30, boys, when you can put up nearly 50? Let's move on to the best part of the podcast, the moment we've all been waiting for. Let's talk Cowboys and Browns. Lawrence, let's hand over to you to be the mediator in this debate, my friend. Yeah, I feel like I need to do a bit of moderation here because I think we're going to have some arguments on on both sides of the field um, in terms of kind of what went wrong, what went right. Um, Firstly, got to congratulate you, Sean, because you're soon going to have enough breaded goods to make Mr. Warburton blush. And actually, maybe if we say Warburton's enough times, they'll, they'll come and sponsor the pod. So um, happy for, for Sean, you as the winner, if you wanted to just talk a little bit about the game. And then I've got some some questions to throw out. So I don't know if you wanted to do a little bit of a recap for, for everybody. Yeah, by all means. So, I mean, it, let's face it. Look, all joking aside, it was an entertaining game, wasn't it? It was a bit of a bit of a slugfest. It kind of went really to script as I thought it would. The Browns were dominant in the ground game and put up three hundred and seven rushing yards, which is just ludicrous. Three hundred and seven yards on the ground, and this essentially is the recipe now for the Browns. They're not going to ask Baker Mayfield to do an awful lot. What they did ask him to do, I thought he did very, very well. He made a lot of good throws, a lot of throws to the boundary, big first down, um, you know, third down receptions for Jarvis Landry, leading to a new set of downs on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, used the play action well. You know, you know, short short passing rates predominantly for from Mayfield, but it was really all about the ground game. Um, Nick Chubb went down in the first quarter. So, bear in mind, I just told you the Browns had 307 rushing yards and Nick Chubb went out in the first quarter. That shows how dominant the the ground game was. And the Browns' defence is 
he's pretty horrible. All right. The secondary has got more holes than a sieve. Um, Andrew Sendejo, he's stealing a living as a safety. I've no idea why he's playing 100% of the Browns' defensive snaps. Um, you know, he, on the initial view at least, you know, I haven't gone and watched the All-22, but he looked responsible for at least three of the Cowboys' touchdowns. Um, but the difference between the Browns' defence and the Dallas' defence, which I'll let Tim come on to in a little bit, is the Browns' defence does have a couple of superstars on it, and one in particular, of course, is number 95, the man up front, Miles Garrett. Um, Lee, I know you'll be listening to this, mate, and I know you love Joey Bosa, but how on earth Joey Bosa got more money than Miles Garrett? He's just beyond me. Talk about a game wrecker and a game changer. That's three consecutive weeks with a strip sack. He now leads the league in sacks. He leads the league in QB pressures by a mile because sacks on their own, you know, if you're a casual fan of the game, you love to see the sack numbers. But, you know, really, if you're watching the nuances of the game, we all know it's about quarterback pressures. That's what disrupts the game. That's what changes the flow of the game. And Miles Garrett is is ahead of anybody in that category. And the Browns' defence are opportunistic. They capitalised on a couple of turnovers. They got a big lead. And then if I'm being completely honest, and I'm sure Tim will come back at me at this, the final score really flattered the Cowboys because the Browns did what every team does. They switched into a prevent defense, which is a recipe for disaster. The Cowboys piled on the yards in the fourth quarter. I think Dak must have thrown for 300 of his yards in the fourth quarter. It just seemed every time that Dak threw the ball, it was going for 20, 25 yards down the field. Um, and, and the Browns almost threw it away. But obviously the the OBJ play that I opened up the podcast with this week um, was obviously the dagger, um, just when it looked as though the Cowboys might come all the way back. OBJ takes a, a pitch, which you know could have been a 15-yard loss, uh, and he turns turns into a 50-yard touchdown run. So, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was it from my perspective anyway. But, Tim, I don't know if you've got a... I've, I've tried to be oh. factual there, but uh, you might have a different view. <laughs> I've got I've got a question to kind of insert here for you, Tim. So, who was ultimately to blame here? Was it the defensive players or the defensive coaches for the Cowboys? Um, well, obviously, one 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 leads to the other. Obviously, I'm not going to go on and say, "Oh, we, no, we've got injuries on defense," because everyone has injuries on defense. I think Mike Nolan has shown that he's been out of the game for a little while on the defensive coordinator side because they, I don't know what they're, they're doing with the coaching. That they apparently they made a point of it this week that they they keep watching the quarterback and they need rather than watching the quarterback and have their eyes fixed in the backfield, they actually need to, the players need to actually do their jobs. Uh, and yet again. Uh, they didn't do that. You know, it's just silly little plays. Yeah, To beat this Dallas, Dallas defence, all you have to do is to per- turn to page two in your playbook, pretty much, if you're an opposing offence, because that you, any, anything to do with misdirection or anything to do with, you know, getting half half creative. I mean, you could be uh, a cheap Paul Daniels and you'd still be able to get one over on this Dallas defence. Um, so I, I think it's it's mainly uh, the coaching, but it obviously doesn't help. We don't have the, the certain players, especially uh, Van Der Esch, you know, Jalen Jen- Smith's done it all right. Um, but I just want to have a, a, a shout out to Daryl Worley, who I mean, I'm not a defensive guy, but he was absolutely atrocious. He absolutely atrocious, Daryl Worley. You know, Stan, um, second, I think he was filling it. He was the other corner opposite Trevon Diggs. Absolutely awful. I've not, not seen anything like it. Uh, always getting beaten, always, you know, the, the wide receivers or the or whatever, always yards away from separation from, from him. Absolutely abysmal, uh, abysmal game. Okay. Now, Sean. You said right at the start of the season that Nick Chubb could possibly 
run for 2,000 yards. And I think we we know that on these full 10 yards NFL pod, we pretty much cursed everybody that we predicted. So we knew that, that the, the Chubb record wasn't going to happen. And he's now on IR, which is, which is absolutely gutting. Um, after seeing, as you say, the Browns rush for 300 yards in a game, how do you think that Chubb injury is going to affect the running game going forwards? If I'm honest, in previous seasons, I would have seen a coach completely changing the game plan and and trying to sort of fit things more in the, with the personnel that were left at his disposal. The Browns are extremely fortunate that they took advantage of the off-field situation with Kareem Hunt when nobody else did and have effectively, and I said this the other week, for me, they've probably got two of the best five running backs, certainly two of the top 10 running backs. I mean, you can argue who the top four to five are, but you know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are going to be in that conversation. Kareem Hunt didn't miss a beat when he came in. He'd been battling a groin injury all week, allegedly. He didn't look as though he was bothered by that at all. You know, he averaged, you know, what was it, seven and a half yards a clip and two touchdowns. He's obviously a threat through the air. Dearness Johnson, um, you know, we talked XFL earlier. Let's talk about double AF. Let's go even further. Dearness Johnson yeah. was uh, ripping it up um, in Orlando, um, what, 18 months ago. And, and he... Got some playing time yesterday. He actually finished with 93 rushing yards. Uh, I don't think the, the game plan changes, to be honest. And I think the scheme has been phenomenal. Um, I said right at the start of the year that it would suit the Browns' running game in terms of the way that Chubb, in particular, runs as obviously the sort of lead back in that offence. And I've seen a few sort of takes on on Twitter. And there's there's one Browns fan that, I, I, you know, I don't think I agree with him on pretty much anything. Um but his view was this running scheme is so effective, it means that Chubb is easily replaceable. Don't pay Nick Chubb. Why on earth would you pay a running back? And I have a totally different view to that, which is if this scheme's so good, why not have the best running back in the league run through it? Um, you know, for me, I'd, I'd save money at the wide receiver position and I would just hand the ball off to Nick Chubb 30, 35 times a game. To be honest, I'd, I'd do what Tennessee do with Derrick Henry. But uh, I don't think it changes moving forward, mate. Until someone can stop it, why on earth would you change it? Like I say, 307 yards yesterday, obviously a season high and padded a little bit by that Beckham one at the end. Um, you know, But they put up over 200 against Washington the week before against a pretty good defensive front. They put up 200 plus against the Bengals. You know, It was only week one against the Ravens where, let's face it, the old team didn't turn up and got blown out 38 points to six. That, that running game didn't get going. But since then, it, it's been absolutely cooking. So I don't think it's going to change anything. Okay. Talking about offensive production, Tim, Dak Prescott is projected at his current rate, and you may well have in um, a kind of a stats life coming up, so I'll, I'll save it if there's one that you've got one for Dak Prescott um, in terms of kind of the individual games. But he is on target at his current production rate to be the first NFL quarterback to throw for over 6,000 yards in a season is Dak Prescott's production each week tenable to, to kind of last for the rest of the season. Yeah, it is, it is when you've got that defense on the other side, geez, or my, um, I mean, I think the, the impressive thing um, about Dak Prescott and everyone's, um, I know, I know you, you enjoyed putting pictures of the, the, cho- the manual choke of a car in, in, in our, in our WhatsApp group, but, to, to be able to do it with an offensive line that's got more patches than, than a, an old picnic blanket 
um, he just stands there in the pocket and lasers it. That throw to Amari Cooper, one of the best throws you'll, you'll see this uh, this season. Straight through, even the cameraman didn't even know where it went. Went straight into in between the numbers to Amari Cooper, and he just walks waltzes in. Okay, Andrew Sandejo was I think was on the on the cover a bit late there, but absolute laser and and to, to consistently do it. Um, you know, people are arguing that it's, he's the ultimate pad pad uh, pad stat padder in the NFL because obviously the, the holes he's getting put in but he's not he he's he's coming up with the goods he he put Dallas in a position I know he's he, I know the interception at the end um people will always point to as well but you watch Amari Cooper's route on that or route or however you want to say he's not expecting the ball so I that that's fully on Amari Cooper that because he doesn't even turn around and look at Dak, which is, you know, considering the point in the game and where you are in on the field, why you aren't looking at Dak Prescott immediately after you've made that cut in, in towards the field, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, once you, if, you, if you've got a defense that's that's allowing you and allow, allowing you big holes, and you are then facing teams that do prevent defense in the third and fourth quarter, you, you, all the yards there for the taking. And considering the talent that they've got on offense that can do yak uh, yak yardage, uh, as well as just catching deep bombs, yeah, um, you know, we're talking about going down to people like Cedric Wilson and, and Noah Brown. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Dallas and, and Dak Prescott have six six thousand six thousand passing yards come the end of the season. And um, talking about difficulties, I don't know if you've just seen the news that has just broken live this second. Um, Bill O'Brien has been relieved of his duties with the oh, Texans. There you go. Good yeah, I, did, I, did, I, I guess did he's just... not. He's not. He's not thankful about Adam Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did just see it flash up, and I did have a little chuckle to myself. Um, That's the should... price you pay yeah. for. Going Norton four, yeah, with mi- a- mildly surprised if I'm honest. Like I say, considering the schedule and the amount of power that he he seemingly had, but you know, let's face it, the Texans haven't taken beans. that next step. Um, you know, since no. Bill O'Brien has been there, you know, they've got to the playoffs and you know maybe advanced one game into the playoffs, but you know they they haven't gotten over that hump, and you know I think inevitably. Um, you know, off to an 0-4 start. And like I say, let's face it, almost looking like a little bit of a lost season. I suppose there's a little bit of hope that there's an extra wild card this year. Uh, but they're still going to have to go on a hell of a run to, to sort of get into that reckoning from an 0-4 starting point, which we reckon 9-7 at, 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 at best might sneak you in. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to still go on a hell of a run now to to close out the season. But yeah, big, uh, big news. We'll get an article up on the full 10 yards before reaction to that over the next couple of days. Yeah, and just to, I don't know Lawrence what other questions you've got going, but I just want to kind of give my slant on the on the game. Um, and be sure. honest, uh, Sean, when when it was when it was a field goal game, um, were you before prior to the snap for the OBJ? Were you actually any in any worry that the you're going to throw that one away? I, I was worried when we were forty-one fourteen up. I've seen, <laughs> I, I, I've, se- I've seen the Browns do some ridiculous things, and unfortunately, until we get rid of the same old Browns sort of commentary, if you like, um, that is always going to be there. And we jokingly sort of texted each other last night, and and I said, "I'm not getting carried away. The Browns have beaten Washington. They've beaten Dallas. They've beaten." Oh, Cincinnati yeah, yeah. at the minute have all combined for one win each. I'm not getting carried yeah, yeah. away with this, you know, and it's a massive test against the Colts this weekend. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated, fascinated to see how you play the Colts next week. Yeah, but it is progress because, you know, I went through an 0-16 season. That's the exact type of game that we would have lost in the 0-16 season. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, w- w- there was actually a stat that came up during the Detroit game yesterday. And again, I'm always always worried when we talk stats before we get to the stats segments uh, of this pod. But uh, I think the Lions now have lost sort of six games after leading by double digits or something like that. Tim's got his head in his hands. I've obviously stole that one from you, buddy. I do apologise. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Lions have lost six games in a row after leading by double digits. And the last team to to have such a record was the Browns and, and multiple other teams, to be fair. But the most recent one was the Browns having four such games, and that was in the 0-16 season. So I, I've seen the Browns throw leads away routinely. Um, so like I say, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't confident at all. But to be fair, mate, I wasn't confident when Villa were 5-2 up against Liverpool either. I'm just used to my sports teams letting me down. So uh, yeah. until the narrative changes, mate, I'll always have that yeah. fear. And then... Yeah, and, that, and for me, obviously, you you, you, put, you hit the nail on the head with um, the defence. The, I think the, the Dallas, well, we employ a front five, but I think they were about as potent as a Denny Loglegs uh, stinger, to be quite to be quite honest. And obviously, you got Miles Garrett on the other side. He was he was on obviously they made the big play. Um, it was the first of the, the, the turnovers that were that were back to back, and I, I think obviously the Browns again uncharacteristically have been very efficient and. Um, have capitalised on turnovers uh, this year as well, which is not something the brands generally do. But I, I think what what won you the game. I know you, obviously you did, Dallas did their best to, to get back into the game and would have been very interesting. Should uh, if, if Alden Smith would have would have tackled OBJ behind the line of scrimmage, but um, it, it is the 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 possessions that the Browns had around half time. Obviously, the they had a fourteen point lead uh, before Cody Parkey hit the field goal, as, you know, just before the end of the half. And then that first drive off in the second half, the Kareem ended in the Kareem Hunt touchdown. That that those two possessions there, and then obviously the, the two turnovers pr- just prior to that. I think I think it was the was the reason the Browns the Browns won it. And it's a bit it's a bit annoying really because I think it was two really bad defenses and. At fourteen seven, Dallas did threaten to um, to put the, th- the foots on your throats, but um, yeah, a great play by Miles Garrett essentially changed the game. Uh, the Zeke the Zeke fumble was one of those where it's just a bit unlucky because he's turned and and fallen on the player uh, and then got it punched out at the same time. So, in you know, any ninety nine times out of hundred, he he hits the deck and then that's no longer a fumble and then it's a it's a totally different game, but. Full, full, full credit to the Browns for turning those uh, turnovers into points, but also being a bit savvy with the game management and getting the the field goal at the end of the first half, and then coming out strong at the start of the second half was was yeah kind of the final nail for me if, if as a Dallas fan. And and the only one thing I was going to say I was going to ask you, Tim, was um, how big a loss was that of Lyle Collins being gone for the rest of the season. <sighs> Yeah, well, let's say I mentioned we've got a bit a, a patched up uh, offensive line, like a, an old picnic blanket. But it's it's not great. Um, obviously, Dak is a person that needs kind of if you look at the stats, he needs his his offensive line, yeah, like all all teams do to to be able to perform uh, or to help win games. Um, Tyler Bidash uh, came in at, at centre. I, I think I think we're okay. Obviously, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin were back for us um, today. Yes, Lyle Collins, it was a big loss. It's, it's just something we're going to have to deal with. But, um, you know, when you are making back-to-back turnovers in consecutive games in a, in a season, you're not, go- you're not going to win games because you're not giving yourself the best chance to to do so. Um, so I don't, I'm not necessarily too concerned about the offensive line because we've already shown that we can overcome that with some really good play from, from Dak with the throne and the, and the wide receivers that we have. Uh, the run game's not obviously been the run game of, of yesteryear, um, but it, it's the personal 
mistakes that we are making where we're fumbling the ball. You know, Tony Pollard again fell asleep on, on a kickoff. And I mean, what the hell is he doing? Get him off special teams. Um, put CD Lamb or and some other guys back there. Um, but yeah, the offensive line, not too, not, not too worried as much as I would have been, say, last year or year before, because I, I, we, we've kind of overcome that and we've schemed it a little bit more than we, than we have done in previous years. Thank you for mediating, Lawrence. I think that was quite uh, reserved between me and Tim there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I say, I'm not uh, I'm not getting too carried away as as we've alluded to. Big uh, big game for the Browns this week to see how far they've come. The the beauty, of course, of the NFL and one of the frustrations is, despite uh, Dallas being one and three, they're in equally as good a shape as the Browns are in their own division at three and one. So there you go. The uh, mm. the, one, the one saving the grace is I'm, I'm I'm hoping that when towards the end of the season, obviously if Dallas do sort ends up sorting their life out and win the division with seven or eight wins or whatever. I'm I'm hope well eight or nine whatever. I'm, I am hoping by that time we've we've ironed out a few things and we've got a few guys back um, and uh, deluded. Yes, probably all right, but I don't know, I'm still I still think that get a few things ironed out, kinked out towards the end of the season. I think, I think we'll go on a bit of a roll towards the end of the season personally, because no one, no one is stopping that offense. Don't care who you are. We, if we cut them, cut the mistakes out of that game, it's a totally different story. But I was going to say, the only role you're going to be going on is the one that you're going to go into a shop and purchase and give right, to Sean. Right, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, fellas. Uh, last word on it, and and just last word for me for trying to be impartial. Because, like you say, it's easier for us all to really back our own our own teams. I just, yeah, I yeah. think I think back to the draft, and we talked at the time. CD Lamb fell to the Cowboys, and look, he's obviously produced, but it felt at the time a bit of a luxury, and it's possibly turning out that way. You know, Lawrence has just said he's on pace for six thousand yards, Dak. It'll mean nothing ultimately if the Cowboys don't get what they want at the end of it, which is obviously deep running to the playoffs mm. and and a Super Bowl appearance. So we'll see how it ends. Yeah, well, yeah up. you say that though, but then it, it, not what there's not a player that you would have taken at that point ahead of Lamb that's going to fix that defense or someone that's going to plug in there because it's it's too there's, there's too many components to it that, that, that need fixing. Um, yeah, we could have picked a linebacker, could have picked another another corner, but Trevor Diggs as well had another great game. He's so unlucky with with his coverage. His coverage has been spot on. He's just not got kind of getting the rubber green. But um, yeah, and I, I, I don't. It was a luxury. I, do, I just wonder. Yeah, maybe years down the line it'd be a bit different. But I don't. I don't know how much of an impact a defensive player at that point or who, people that were floating around that that position, uh, that pick seventeen would would make a difference on that defense. To be quite honest, so. Well, you've got to start somewhere, mate. I think a certain JJ mm. what went 17 overall one year or something like that. So who knows? Anyway, we could talk Dallas mm. and Cleveland all night longer. Me and Tim probably will <laughs> once we stop recording. So <laughs> let, let's talk something else, fellas. And let's very quickly talk winners and losers for week number three because we've gone through quite a bit on this week's pod already. So very quickly, let's sort of wrap these up. So Lawrence, let's come to you, mate. Winners and losers for you in week four. My winner for week four is Brian Hoyer, a man who's made more returns than a computer programmer after he's had a giant can of blackcurrant monster. This is actually going to be Hoyer's fourth stint with the Patriots, and he's going to be looking to throw his second touchdown pass as a Patriot after throwing his first one back in 2010 with with the Patriots 31-0 up in week 17 against the Dolphins in 2010 and boasting a 13-2 and record, Bill Belichick let Hoyer take the field to get some reps and he got a 42-yard touchdown pass to Brandon Tate. 
this is going to be Hoyer's 39th start and the signs are, the signs are going to be interesting because he's lost his last 13 starts in a row. Yeah, well, and... so there's next week's stats life winner, boys. Which quarterback threw a touchdown pass for the same team 10 years apart? <laughs> and then, then my loser, which inevitably is the New England Patriots, for the exact above reason, starting with um, Brian, Ho- Brian Hoyer. Because if you've got a former league MVP who's contracted COVID-19 and the media talking in, in glowing terms about you as being you know, up there competing with the Chiefs and then suddenly you, you're kind of, you're turning to Brian Hoyer, you, you're going to be in trouble. You know, you've got a guy who looks like Carl Pilkington and has a medical condition, commonly known as clipboard, clipboard holder's elbow, I'd say just good luck to Patriots fans tonight. It's going to need an epic failure by the Chiefs to get the W. And don't forget, Brian Hoyer has actually started a playoff game for the Texans. Texans. Do you want to know his stat line for the Texans back in 2015? Final score was the Chiefs won 30 to 0. Brian Hoyer went 15 of 34 through four picks and fumbled the ball twice and lost it once. Five turnovers and zero points and under 50% completion rate the last time he faced the Chiefs in anything competitive. Like you say, good luck, Patriots fans. The fact is that, of course, this podcast will probably be most people's ears after that game has finished. So, Lawrence, you will either sound like a complete and utter fool or you will obviously have been proved 100% correct, my friend. Tim, let's come to you. Probably going to actually go with something that's already happened or are you going to be brave and call a winner and loser from the Monday night games? No, no, something's happened. I'll, I'll stay with the New England Patriots theme. My winner is Tom Brady. Um, became the player to have the most all-time regular season wins. Uh, still, obviously, steering his back, his, his team back from the hole that obviously Lawrence uh, Lawrence had described. Uh, oldest player as well to go back to back with three touchdowns in a game, uh, breaking his own record from two years ago. So, like I say, with the Patriots being the loser, starting Brian Hoyer tonight, um, I'm sure. I'm sure that Bill Belichick and Co would love be love to be trotting out uh, good old Tompa Tompa Brady over there. Um, loser for me, like you say, we say we could talk about Dallas all night, but um, yeah, for, for me, the big loser is uh, Mike Nolan and this Dallas defense. Which, if you didn't know, you can actually go and see them uh, in this country. If you head over to your local carpet, right, there's a you can go to the doormat section, there's loads of doormats, that's where you will find Mike Nolan and, and the Dallas defense. Um, yeah, so they're my, they're my winners and losers. Fair dues. Also, oh, the one, one stat, I, oh, actually, no, I'll save it for stats because you nicked one of my stats. Fair enough. Keep it in your back pocket, mate. I'll uh, I'll wrap up then. We'll we'll have the last word, and I promise it will be the last word, listeners, on the Browns and Cowboys <laughs> game. I'll I'll give a winner to OBJ. He's by far best game as a Cleveland Brown. Does he make a difference if he plays with a smile on his face? I know the fancy boys joke if he's got blonde hair, but he actually looked like he really enjoyed yesterday's game. Don't know if it's something to do with playing at Dallas, and he's obviously got Dallas. history there, but. Uh, just an incredible game, you know, catching touchdown passes both from Landry and from Baker Mayfield, obviously rushing, getting involved in the blocking game, just playing with a smile on his face and looked every bit the receive that the Browns thought they were getting when they made that trade for him 18 months ago. Um, but obviously, um, you know, he, he's, let's face it, he's disappointed so far. You know, I've been as big a critic as anybody, but, you know, he was massive yesterday, came up clutch when need be. Uh, so OBJ gets my winner and loser. 
I think it's just been confirmed, fellas, by the fact that he's lost his job. It was going to be Bill O'Brien anyway. Um, like I say, for a team that's invested so much um, of their sort of future, if you like, into this year. And I say that because, like I say, it's their first and their second round picks that they aren't getting in the 2021 draft. And all of the money that they've got tied up in um, this 2020 season, there's now going to be, you know, no cap rollover. God knows what they're going to do if the cap gets reduced because of the pandemic. We'll wait and see what happens there. But good almighty, they're going to have to have somebody very astute in the cap room working all that out. Uh, adding to that, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, which has obviously gone south, and and it's just a hell of a long way back for the Texans. But he's certainly going to be the loser this week, and that was before he got fired. So there you go, um, Bill O'Brien. Right, we've talked about it a few times. We've teased it before we drop any more accidentally. Let's get into this week's stats then, fellas. Wow me with some numbers and some greatness. I'm sure there's plenty to go around this week. Tim, let's start with you this week, my friend. Hit me with your first one. Okay, so you did nick the one where the Lions are the first team in NFL history to lose six straight games when having a 14-point lead at any point in the game. So I will uh, pivot and go with the one I was going to give about Dallas. Um, The Cowboys have allowed 38-plus points in three straight games for only the second time in franchise history uh, and the first time since 1960 when they went 0-11-1 in their first season in the NFL. So at least we've bettered that record. Certainly have, mate. By half the game at this point. By half a game, <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly not, uh, certainly not good. If you, I mean, you know, if you're going to give up that many points again, then Ducky's going to throw for six. Old, well, he might throw for seven thousand yards alone, six thousand. If the if the defense are giving up that many, certainly stuff to sort out there. Lawrence, it's come to you for your first buddy. Keeping that star on that helmet under the spotlight. Only three quarterbacks in NFL history have thrown for over five hundred yards and four touchdowns and ended up losing the game. And remarkably, two of them are Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott on Sunday, and then Tony Romo threw for 506 yards and five touchdowns in a 48-51 loss to Denver back in 2013. Just to just just for all you statos out there, the, the third quarterback to do it was Matthew Stafford back in 2012. He threw pass. he threw over yep 41 45 loss to the Packers. Yeah, go to show that. Go, See, go Sean, Lawrence always always asks those type of questions for us to guess them. The one week he doesn't he doesn't ask the question, I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, typical, mate. But uh, it goes to show, doesn't it? You know, obviously quarterbacks from, you know, this sort of recent era and, well, more current era with obviously Dak and, and, and still Matthew Stafford playing, obviously. Um, obviously transformed to, to more of a passing game, as we know. And, and as we alluded to earlier, whether it's the empty stadiums or whatever it may be, the amount of scoring this season has just been absolutely phenomenal. So plenty of yardage and plenty of records going week to week. Right, one a piece in the books, fellas. Tim, hit me with your second one. Yeah, I remember that. But just a point in that 51-48 game. I remember that was the old um, Peyton Manning bootleg to the end zone game, wasn't it? Um, okay, second one from me. Um, ooh, we'll go with this one. The Rams are 28-0 and when leading at halftime under Sean McVay. But it doesn't sound too great. But when you consider every other team has had at least one loss in that span from 2017, it makes it a little bit more remarkable. It doesn't sound too great. It sounds pretty damn good to me, mate. 28 now <laughs> after leading at halftime. I'll take that as a start any day of the week. That's... Uh... Yeah, he gets plenty of love, doesn't he, Sean McVeigh, and uh, under the spotlight a little bit after a bit of a down season. But uh, the Rams 
like I say, a few people probably wrote them off before the season started, but they're sitting pretty at three and one. Lawrence, just come back to you. I think we've synced something in terms of numbers here because I've got the number 28 coming up in my little factoid here. In the past 28 years, only two players have caught 15 out of 15 passes that have been thrown their way. We obviously mentioned the the George Kittle situation from earlier on this morning. And the only other person to do it in, in almost the past 30 years is Run CMC, who did it in 2019. And as we say, considering Kittle had just come back from injury and they were using their third string quarterback in the fourth quarter, pretty remarkable feat there. No, absolutely. He is a beast, as we alluded to earlier. Right then, boys, not sure which way this is going to go yet. Maybe the third one will be the clincher. So, Tim, hope you've saved your best till last. Hit me with it, buddy. Now, this one this one blew me away a little bit, so I'm hoping it will do the same here. So, since 2016, the Jets are the only team that have thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. <laughs> That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I didn't even think that. Didn't even think that would be possible. That's an incredible stat, right, Lawrence? Up against it now, mate, because that that is currently the leader in the clubhouse, my friend. So, can you better the awfulness of the New York Jets? No, because this this is all about absolute pure quality. So I'm I'm going down the quality route, not the not the lack of quality route here. And it's it's our friend. The man with one of the greatest names in, in current NFL play, Ooh, Rodrigo like Blankenship. Ooh, like Rodrigo. It's old Rodders, Rodney. Rodney Blankenship has, in the last three weeks, individually, by himself, with the power of his own foot, outscored the last three teams that the, um, the Colts have played. He kicked four field goals and an extra point to get... Um, 13 points against the um, Bears and the Bears only scored 11. Um, in week two, he scored 14 points and the Vikings put up 11. And in week three, he outscored the Jets 10 points to the Jets total of seven. So Rodrigo Blankenship has outscored his opponents in the last three games by himself. Very impressive stuff, mate. And to be fair, as we talked about earlier with the Browns next up for the Colts, if he's obviously outscoring the Cleveland Browns, that means the run game has been well and truly shut down and the Colts will be at 4-1 and if we get to that stage. I am going to give it this week just about, I think, to Timothy. I think, Lawrence, if Rodrigo goes on to win that MVP, as we talked about, a kicker could do. (laughs) Bigger stretch as it may be, then I may well reverse my decision. But I am impressed with just how bad the New York Jets are. I was fully under the impression I supported the worst team in the NFL. So to be told that I don't know more is music to my ears. So Tim takes the win this week. Right, fellas, let's get into a bit of overtime. And of course, we end up with a now surprise double header of a Monday night football. Um, And just for those that are inquiring, and it still baffles me how people moan about it all the time, but don't know the TV schedule and what games will or won't be blacked out and all the rest of it. But I'll get off my high horse there. Sky are showing both of these games tonight. And Channel 5 have got as scheduled the Packers and Falcons game. Um, So if you want the the Patriots game, it's on Sky Sports main event. If you want the Falcons game, it's on Sky Sports NFL and Channel 5 later tonight. But fellas, quite simply, because we're short on time, who wins and why? Tim, let's come to you first. Uh, Kansas City, Green Bay. Easy. And that's why they win, because it's easy. Fair dues, Lawrence, let's come to you. 
Chiefs and the biggest upset of the season so far as the Falcons go on to beat the Packers for a couple of reasons. One, the Packers receivers are decimated. Devontae Adams is officially out. Alan Lazard is officially injured. And the Falcons welcome back Julio Jones, who's not at 100%, but Calvin Ridley, Ridley is absolutely tearing up the NFL. And can you name a better third receiver on a team than Russell Gage at the moment? Because I don't think I can. So I'm going for the absolute monster upset of the season as the Falcons beat the Packers. Interesting, mate. Yeah, I can certainly see it happening. Like you say, Greenberg certainly going to be short-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Falcons obviously giving up a lot of their points through the air, as we know. Um, but obviously, you know, in terms of the ground game, they have done better in that regard. So obviously, can Green Bay get anything out of Aaron Jones? I think we're all going for a clean sweep in terms of the Kansas City side of things. I think, like you say, that has the potential to be a bit of a blowout. Um, although, you know, let's be honest, it wouldn't also be the hugest surprise if Bill Belichick dolls up some Houdini magic and maybe the Patriots get out of there off the back of just a small defeat. I certainly can't see them getting a victory. Uh, I'll take Green Bay in the in the other one just because I just can't trust the Falcons. Simple as that. Even if the Falcons are up, no one's going to believe that it's done and dusted until the final whistle does eventually blow. But uh, as you say, Lawrence, there's certainly reasons to be optimistic. I certainly think there'll be plenty of points scored in that one anyway. Right then, boys, it's been a fairly lengthy one tonight. We've covered plenty, lots of points being scored across the NFL, which is obviously good to see. The games have been thoroughly entertaining. Like I said, right at the outset, a bit of a welcome distraction after what had been a pretty down week in terms of the news and the sort of COVID outbreaks. Let's hope that that gets pretty quickly under control. I know the league have been updating their protocols and and obviously are going to come down hard on the teams, not following them. Um, yeah, moving forward, so fingers crossed. It is just a little bit of a blip in the road, but obviously, I'm sure there'll be more obstacles to overcome. Anything either of you want to say to finish yourself, Tim? You're waving at me, so I'm suggesting. Yeah, you I just I'd, one thing that um, it's probably a bit stupid thing, but any to any American fans that uh, that are listening to to the podcast, um, I just want to point out that um, since the divisional realignment back in 2002, the the Colts and Bears games. Uh, have coincided uh, the same year as the presidential election, right? So if if the Colts have won, uh, the Republican has won the election. And if the Bears won, the Democrats won the election. So obviously with the, the Colts winning on Sunday, I think uh, any anyone that's a Donald Trump, uh, Trump supporter um, will, will be happy after the, the results, just put it that way. I cannot believe you've just won Stats Life and you didn't throw that one at me. That is phenomenal. <laughs> that is absolutely phenomenal that those results have gone that way down the years. But uh, let's let's not start debating Donald Trump. We've already been on here no. for far too long. Lawrence, any no. closing words from you this week, my friend? Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna end on the election tip, all I can say is you don't win elections by votes. You just win by cash. And I'll leave it at that. There we go. I said we wouldn't get political. Read into that what you will. (laughs) Right then, fellas. Been an absolute pleasure, as always. Even more of a pleasure for me this week than normal. Let's just put it that way. Oh, oh, shut up, Rodney. I'm sure it will come (laughs) crashing back down to earth next week. Plenty of stuff coming up, of course, over at Full 10 Yards HQ. College boys, fancy boys, plenty going on. Check us out on our YouTube channel as well for the Full 10 Questions. I promised him I'll put some Cowboys questions in this week for you. Get revising that game, my friend. Uh, come and take us on at the full 10 questions plenty of articles coming up we'll have some reactions to the Bill O'Brien news get you all set for week number 5 basically if you want anything NFL wise stick with us keep your eyes and ears 
appealed to the full 10 yards. That's it for another week. Cheers as always, fellas. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.